Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Jamie McConnell, LSWAIC, has graced us with her presence. Jamie McConnell, MSW, MHP, LSWAIC, was born and raised in California and moved to Oregon where she received her Bachelor's of Psychology and Business Minor at the University of Oregon and graduated in 2009. Jamie's life took her in many directions, and in 2014, she started graduate school for social work at the University of Washington and graduated in 2017. Jamie has been working in social services since 2011 and has held many different roles. Jamie has been in full-time private practice for the last seven months now, providing telehealth services in Washington State, which has been a long-time dream. Outside of work, Jamie enjoys spending time with her five-year-old son and her husband. Jamie loves being near the water, loves chocolate, seafood, wine, and sleeping in. Welcome, Jamie. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Renita. It's it's such an honor, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You are absolutely welcome. I'm so glad you said yes. Jamie, reading your bio, I was curious if you could tell us more about the letters behind your name. We know the MSW part, Master of Social Work, right? But tell us about that MHP. And most of our listeners are actually from the South, where we hold the letters LICSW or LCSW. I'm curious, though, what in Washington is an LSWAIC? So the the A in there is it means associate. So after I graduated, then you apply for your associate license. And that's when the next journey begins to become fully independently licensed to practice on your own. So even with my private practice, I have a supervisor. I have to have that in order to do what I do. Um, so yeah, it means I'm working on the licensure and um, once I pass my test, then the, the A goes away. <laughs> I love and, it. I do. What does MHP mean? So MHP means mental health professional. Mm, mm-hmm. And in the state of Washington, when you graduate with a master's degree in social work, you are automatically given that credential by the state of Washington that never goes away. Um, and, and with that, what that means is that it's basically a, a job requirement. So if you wanted, they, they call them, they used to call them MHPs, like call the MHPs when somebody's decompensating and we need to look at involuntary detainment Um only an MHP can make the call of, okay, we're going to involuntarily detain this person and we have to take them into the hospital. Um, 
licensed mental health counselors cannot do that. You know, that that's like a state job, you know, working with the state government position to be in, in that type of role. So it's very role specific. Um, and, and I've had to do that, but prior to, you know, more like writing affidavits, you know, when something happens of really writing the, the affidavit of this is what happened. These are reasons why I believe this person should be detained. It's a big deal to, you know, take somebody's rights away and, uh, you know, be involuntarily hospitalized. When you were talking, I was thinking about the social work compact where we're trying to be interstate licensed and how mm. different uh, the roles in social work are for different states. And like this is a traditional role that Washington has held um, for social workers that you automatically get that credential and then those privileges as well. And so then what would that look like? with all the different states having different requirements and our um, privileges for social workers. And that's just yet another example of the work that's having to be done to, to allow us to be interstate licensed. So yeah, that was really very interesting, actually. Now I want to go and geek out on the, the state laws in Washington, (laughs) because that's just what I did. Before we get into your journey, Jamie, I was wondering if you could tell us what did you want to be when you grew up and or who did you want to be most like when you were growing up? You know, growing up, I I was kind of all over the place. I was open and for, you know, when I was younger, I thought about, you know, being a weather girl, being an actress, um, and then as I got older, like in high school, I remember thinking like, I really, I'd like to be the kind of mother that my mom is to me. Um, and so I really looked up to my parents, both my mom and my dad um, in, that, in that sense. And, and my dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own business and that's kind of, kind of always in the background of and I'm from a small town you know so it's a lot of mom and pops you are working for yourself or the local government or whatnot but um yeah just being a good person as I saw that in my parents but career-wise specific job-wise I I didn't know even when I graduated high school I, I didn't really know and just was open to what was next and going to college was what was next and and exploring adulthood adulthood is an exploration (laughs) isn't it it is (laughs) you know what i love that answer so much because i'm thinking you are such an amazing mom i got to meet your baby right before we hit record finally and you are also an entrepreneur so you're doing the the best, sorry, of both yeah. worlds, um, even as we speak. And so I know both your parents would be so proud of you. I know they are. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Do you want to tell us about your social work journey? Like, start from the beginning. How did you even find out about social work? Oh, so moved to Oregon. My 
my focus was business. I thought, you know, again, with that entrepreneur background with, with, with my dad and even my stepdad had his own business. I thought business, you know, I, I didn't gravitate towards anything else at the time. So I started that journey and it was my business marketing class. That professor had us um, take the Don Clifton Strength Finder quiz. I think everybody should do that. Everybody. It was so just eye-opening to who I am and this this moment of self-discovery here in my business class. I, I wouldn't have expected that. And so there's like, I think 34, 35 identified like personal strengths um, that it's in a book um, and there's different versions of the book too. Um, some geared, you know, towards leadership um, specifically and how to lead by your strengths. But the strengths that I had, the quiz is so long, so worth it. Uh, but my strengths were empathy, relator, developer, adaptability, and harmony. I'm just like, wow, like it just so resonated. And then what uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was my accounting class. I could barely, um, I barely scraped by. Um, it was so, so hard. And it got me thinking, like, is this really the direction? So at the University of Oregon, they had psychology. And I, and at that time, I'd never heard of social work. Never. I, I didn't never heard that at all. Um, so I thought, okay, psychology, I'm into, you know, human behavior and, you know, how we think, um, development and all that. So I switched majors to psychology. I kept, I was so far in business. I was like, let's just keep it, go for the minor, get that. Um, so took psychology courses. And through that, I learned that the University of Oregon had a separate certificate program called um, Substance Abuse Prevention Program. And it was in those courses that where I really got to learn about, you know, addictions, stages of change, human trafficking that I didn't even know, you know, as a small town girl, it was like, whoa, like opening my eyes to so much that I didn't know about. So I got that certificate. Um, and, and it, it was in my, I think my senior year was the first ever social work job that I had. It was a, my first time dipping my toe in and it was a night shift position at a, a women's residential treatment center. And we're talking, you know, women that were pregnant, there were children, their own children in there. Um, it, it was, it was rough. Um, it, it was, it was hard seeing that. I liked it though. It, it's the night shift. Is that what, that's what got to me. I'm like being on the night shift and also going to school during the day, sleep pattern, totally messed up. So I had, you know, I stepped away. And then, so I graduated and I, I wanted to leave Eugene. Um, you know, it's, 
I wanted to explore more of the world. So I had an opportunity with my lovely sister, uh, who you know, um, she lived in Washington. And I was like, okay, let's keep on going up north. So moved to Washington. Um, I could not find, that was in 2009. I couldn't find a job. The economy was so bad. All the entry level social services. And that's when I kind of learned about, oh, it's called social services. I, they didn't teach you this stuff in psychology. It's not what they were doing. Um, like, okay. And that's when I started to find all these nonprofits and these opportunities and nobody was a knocking or I was knocking nobody <laughs> saying, Hey, um, as a fresh graduate. So I was cashiering. Um, and then I found this opportunity to go abroad and teach English abroad in South Korea. Um, and that was a great experience, but I know through that experience, I'm not a teacher in that sense of like being in front of a room, especially with small children. I don't work with small children. I don't work with children, period. I, I work with adults. So I was definitely faking it until I was making it. Um, it was an awesome experience. I loved it. And then came back home for a little bit for some family stuff in California. And then it was time. I knew there was something calling me back to Washington. So what brought me back up to Washington was the sales job. That's all I could find. And that's what, I don't know why I was doing that. I was oh, 24, you know, long ago. Um, so I went into sales and it was, being an independent contractor selling floors, flooring. So I learned about carpet, hardwood, tile, all that stuff. And I made a website because I was an independent contractor of a company called Empire Today. They're national. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of those people. Um, and the web on my website, I was because I, I knew deep down, like I'm a helper. I, I love helping people. I always knew that about myself. I love helping people, whatever it looks like. I find joy in that. And so on my website, I said something like, I'm here to help solve your flooring problems. And like, that was kind of my angle of like, I'm helping you. You need new floors. And then there's one day this is the, the day I'll never forget. I had an appointment. This this woman in an apartment, her in one of the bedrooms, the roof had like fallen in from like a leak from somebody above. And so the apartment manager was like, meet with the sales lady, me, to to pick out some new carpet for the bedroom. It's flooded. It's it's just a disaster. And so I'm going in and it's is it's in the morning. And I'm measuring, you know, I've got my clipboard, I'm measuring, I'm doing, doing the thing. And then she starts crying. She goes to her refrigerator and cracks open a beer. And I just kind of stopped what I was doing. And she just started to unload and was having this moment and was, you know, talking about her, her boyfriend who is awful and just 
and I put all my stuff down and I was like, this is not about the sale anymore. I clearly need to be here for this person who's having a really hard time. And after listening to her and holding that space for her, she thanked me profusely and said how much that helped her. And it was like, to me, I was like, really? <laughs> I I didn't think I did that much. Um, I just listened. And then it dawned on me how powerful that is. And to hold that space for somebody who is suffering. And then that was the moment the light bulb went off. I was like, you got to stop doing this. You need to go back and revisit these agencies you've applied for in the past. And so I did. And I got hired at a very large nonprofit in downtown Seattle called uh, Downtown Emergency Service Center. And that's where my career began. That's where it all started. And it was just, yeah, such a wonderful experience. That is such a beautiful story. That is such a beautiful, and speaks to who you are, Jamie. Yeah. It speaks to who you are. And I'm, I love that. Um, I hate that her floors got messed up, but I love that that was <laughs> <No>. your, <laughs> I love that that was your golden link to get you to where you're supposed to be today. So such yeah. a beautiful story. But how did you find out about social work? Because here you are in psychology and in flooring. Yeah. And so there must have been some encounter with social work somewhere along the way. Yeah. So started working at uh so it's D, uh, Downtown Emergency Service Center's DESC for short, so I'm referred to as DESC. It was my peers there. I mean, DESC employed hundreds of people. And the University of Washington is right there. I had no idea. It's like one of the top, top social work schools in the nation. Um, and so it was just working there and doing the thing. And then meeting your peers who are going to the University of Washington for the School of Social Work. And that's when I first I started hearing about it. And that's what a lot of people were doing. And like, okay. And that's fine. And in and, and advancement too, like I could advance so much there. You know, you see those those uh job postings it's like well you you can only have this if you have that master's you need to have that and so I always felt like I I don't want to I can't stop here you know even financially too it's like especially in in a metropolitan city like that you it's got to survive um so I was like well I guess I'm gonna have to do that but here's something crazy, though. As I say that, I remember, and I've forgotten about this, when I was in doing my bachelor's degree in Oregon, I had read a book called uh, The Success Principles. And it said to write a list of 100 things that you would want to do. And close to the top of the list it said like get a master's degree by 30 years old 
and and I just threw that out there into the universe and it, it was never like this this thing I had to do I just put it there once and forgot all about it put that aside and was just living life and just going with the flow and so when I came across that list again it's like wow that's 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 pretty profound and you know um it was hard to get in too, you know references and essays and the whole application process was a lot but that's what everybody else is doing around me and the folks that I looked up to and so I I took that jump got in and I did a part-time it was a part-time program on the weekends so I was able to work full-time and go to school and then eventually your practicum comes and then that's when life just hard <laughs> we don't talk enough about how hard practicum is right and, yeah <laughs> were yeah. you working full-time and doing your practicum like so many oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you, you kind of there there's no other way to do it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jamie, that is such an amazing social work story there's two things that kind of stand out that I just love. I was just like, oh my God. When I'm always talking about writing it down and now I'm going to have to read because it gives me a little bit more uh, validation, the success principles. And I love that you mentioned that you wrote the 100 things down, wrote it down, put it to the side, came across it years later and was like, I wrote this down and I didn't even know that this was where the life is about to take me. And so I love that um, you brought that up because that's like one of the themes. Anybody who knows me said, knows that I'm always going to say, write it down. So I love that. And then what I also took from your social work store, so many things, but the, these are just two main things. It is important to surround yourself with people who are doing great things. And because I heard you say your peers were going to school, everybody around you was doing it. So it just mm-hmm. made, it felt natural to be doing what the folks around you were doing. And then continue. Once you got the momentum, you just had to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about private practice before we move on to talk. You know, you are my first person I'm interviewing who is in your own private practice. So many other persons people who've come on, you know, that's one of their goals, but you actually have met it and achieved it. So talk to me about what that, that journey has been like for you. It's such, such a a dream come true. Um, And it, it all, you know, it, it was kind of unexpected how it started and how it it manifested. I, I didn't expect it. I wasn't planning on it at the time. Um, so what happened was I I was working for a nonprofit. It was my last job. Um, and there, it was my first time doing like real counseling, like one-on-one, we're doing therapy, we're doing the thing. Whereas all my other, I've got so much, so much other background stuff doing all kinds of other things. Um, so this is my first time being like, oh, I, I get to really finally be that person and 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 have that space. And and we're even doing it on the phone, you know, because of COVID phone sessions all the time, sometimes 
camera. And then uh, once things got better with COVID, you know, people started coming into the office. It was my, um, one day I was in supervision and my supervisor, Joe, he told me, cause we were talking about goals. And I was like, yeah, private practice. That's a, that's a goal. That's something that I want for the future. And he's like, you know, you can do that with an associate license. Right. And I was like, what? With an associate license? I thought you had to be fully independently licensed, pass the test, all that stuff to be in private practice. And he told me, no, not here in the state of Washington. Um, you can have a private practice, but you need to have a supervisor overseeing you. And my head exploded. And I hit the ground running. After that, I hit it hard and did all the things to create a business that I had never really done before. And it was just like, learn as you go. So while, so I did that while I was working full time at the nonprofit, like I had my day job and in the evenings, I'm, you know, creating the website, creating the email, like, you know, all the things. Um, and so I had that it existed, but there was no really traffic, you know, I got one client, I got one private pay client. And and that's the other thing you can't be uh, paneled with insurance, you know, uh, well, I'll get more into that. Um, usually you can't be paneled with insurance with an associate license. So it's kind of a private pay situation. So it's, it's you know, that's the challenge um, is finding those private pay folks. And so um, I was just doing my thing, trying to do marketing, you know, reaching out, doing all the things what I can. And then one day I got an email from somebody from this this group called the Mindful Therapy Group reaching out to me like who are these people what do you want from me um and they have an associate program where if you're in private practice we they could get you paneled with insurance because they have this special relationship with the insurance companies and they value the the associate um so they're like we you could do private practice and accept insurance and I didn't jump on it initially. I, I wasn't sure timing, whatnot. So maybe a couple months later, the timing was right. And, and I, took, I took the leap and I left the nonprofit and I signed on with the Mindful Therapy Group. It's not like a group, like those group private practices. It, it's different. So I get, you know, I have my own brand, all of that. Everybody is responsible for their own clinical work and supervision and whatnot. They take care of the billing, administrative stuff, and they have relationships with insurance companies. So, I mean, my first week, um, you know, I was, they, they were able to give me 13 clients in my first week. And it's just a wonderful system. Um, the Mindful Therapy Group, they're in Washington, Oregon, and they're expanding to Arizona and Colorado. 
Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And that's what I just appreciate so much partnering with them is that it gives me the space to focus on the client. I'm not having to call the insurance companies and say, Hey, why didn't you accept that claim or what's going, you know, all of those things, because that's, that's a lot. Um, that, that takes a lot of mental energy too, and could definitely lead to some burnout. So I just, I'm so happy to be here doing this and yeah, I'm, I'm just so fortunate and fortunate for that supervisor who educated me on that. Had that not happened, who knows? Um, but this is kind of where I've always wanted to be. I love it. And, you know, one of the big things, and you kind of bypassed it a little bit, but you took the leap. I, I remember talking to you when you were wavering about taking the leap. And then it was yeah. literally, I guess you took it. And six months later, you're like, I'm full time. I have a full, a full private practice. Literally six months later, I'm curious, like, how did you push past that fear of just being like, I'm leaving this consistent full time job to bet on myself? Because that's really what it was about was betting on yourself. Mm -hmm. How were you able to push past that fear and take that lead? You know, and it, it kind of. I have just learned in life, you just have to go for it. And even with this podcast, because, you know, talking about scheduling the podcast, I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe in January, maybe, you know, I'll push it off. And I was like, why? 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 Why wait? So for me, it was why wait, but it was also the balance of my son and you know, my husband had the privilege of taking him to school, picking him up, you know, all those things, this, this precious time that you'll never get back. And so I was really thinking about my family life and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to have more balance. And, and I, I craved it so much. So yeah, it was a little scary. Um, definitely losing out on, on some benefits, you know, uh, all of those the package deal that comes with that but thinking about my my son and being able to do those things and be there it, it made it easy really like okay yeah if I can do this make it work um yeah it's it's the dream and you know to to not not wait if 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 you see it the opportunities there then you gotta take it just like just it. like meeting you today I was like you've got to take it you know don't wait so don't push it yes. off yes. yes I'm so <laughs> glad you said yes oh thank you for encouraging our audience just to take the leap it's scary but you know and I see sometimes people taking the leap and then trying to scratch their way back like ah, I should have done it mm. <laughs> but but I think the free fall is is the fun part, right? That's mm -hmm. the fun part because most times we've all survived. Those of us who are here listening to this today, we have survived 100% of our days. 
And even when you take the leap, you'll survive that too. So, and not only survive, but thrive, yeah. not only survive. Is there a, so, is there a favorite social work mentor um, or instructor that you want to shout out? Yeah, it's just, there, there's a couple, like I'm thinking from the very beginning to the very end where am I, I'm at now. And right now there is a gal Julia, who was my last clinical supervisor at the nonprofit that I worked for. And she is still with me to this day. She is seeing me through on my journey to licensure. And I'm just so profoundly grateful. And she doesn't have to, you know, like, technically, you know, you you end the relationship at work and, you know, bye. But no, she is is seeing me through this she sat down with she took time to meet with me outside of work to go over all the paperwork I don't know how it is in the south with with the paperwork for licensure here in Washington it it's a lot it's confusing they keep changing the forms all you know every several years and crunching those hours all of that stuff it's it's a lot harder, you know, it's, it should be more simple, I would imagine. Um, but they don't make it easy. And for her to sit down and take time out of her life to crunch numbers, figure things out. I am just so eternally grateful for that support. And then the very beginning of my career, my very first supervisor at DESC, Ahaya Weisel, he passed away this year, bless his heart, um, the kindest, kindest person. And he showed me, you know, real compassion, unconditional positive regard, because at GSE, we work with the most marginalized people in the city, in the state, those that fell through the cracks, you know, that the system failed. And here they are with co-occurring disorders chronically homeless, mentally ill, like comorbidities, all the things, um, such heavy, heavy work, but he, it was all about the relationship. Like you can develop a relationship with somebody who can't speak, you know, you, you, you can be there for, for these people that have had nobody there for them in, in their entire life. So he was the first person that showed that to me. And I just, I'm so grateful. And I'm just grateful for everybody in between. It's, it's been, it's been amazing and an honor and a blessing. I do think social work is an honor, isn't it? And then to be able to, I love, what was his name again? Ahaya. I love that name. Blessings to him. And I love that you said he showed you. Not only did he give to you unconditional positive regard, but he showed you how to do that with the least of these. Yeah. And that's just such a beautiful gift. So thank you. Yeah. I love, I could listen to you all day, Jane. This is just so <laughs> great. I'm in, I'm, I bet I am going to move on to our next question. Okay. Um, the premise of this podcast has been to create community and I was curious, in what ways are you a part of social work community? Yeah, you know, it it's a little challenging in private practice. But 
with with the mindful therapy group that I'm involved in, there's that community. It it is, and we have an email that's for all of us. There's hundreds and hundreds of folks on this platform. Daily emails, you know, referrals, I, you know, asking for consults, like it is, it's a place where we can be there for each other. And that's really, really nice. And just in, in my journey, you, you carry those, those friendships with you. Like they were colleagues, but they're now friends, you know, they're forever friends. And so maintaining those relationships. Um, and just checking in once in a while. Um, but yeah, in private practice, it can be isolating, but I'm fortunate to have that. I am part of, you know, they have Facebook groups out there. I'm part of those like online therapist Facebook groups where folks are reaching out for any advice or whatnot. So technology has been great. Um, I've always been... And I told this to my sister, I was like, I was always like, I hate technology. Like I'm not a tech person. I'm not. And then I realized I need to start changing. I'm changing that narrative. And I have a post-it note right here that says I heart technology and, and really trying to embrace that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that's just been a big way to be part of community and, and not be alone and isolated. And of course, I have my, my supervisor, my clinical supervisor um, that I meet with regularly, too. So, Yeah, I love that you changed your narrative, because if we didn't have technology right now, especially post, I know people, I say post pandemic, but post 2020, I'll say it like that. Post 2020, if we didn't have it, we couldn't do the work that we do. Uh, we couldn't have this podcast today, this episode today, which has been so great. And, you know, I love that you are changing your language. I didn't, I didn't know anything about technology. Here I am editing a podcast every night. Yeah. <laughs> so I love and So I'm going to create a post-it note too that says I heart technology. We need to get stickers. I heart yeah. technology. Yeah. Um, this is a little off. Not to the next question, but because you are, you know, doing telehealth, I'm curious, Jamie, are you going to get licensed in those other states that mindful therapy is in? Or are you just going to focus on Washington right now? That's a great question. I I do have a desire to get licensed in other states. Um, I was thinking, though, the states that I am have connections to, like Oregon and California. I was, you know, thinking about that, just expanding um, myself. So absolutely, it is on my mind. How to get there exactly, I'm not sure yet. Um, but I, I that, and that's what I see on the, the online platforms with the other therapists um, on the Facebook groups is, yes, people are getting licensed in multiple states and and it's a thing. And especially on the East Coast where the states are so small. You know, I, I'm, you know, from, you know, California is huge. And just being able to reach more audience. Um, yes, I want to. Awesome. Okay. Licensed in six states. And I have a plan to get licensed in three more. And I've been this next in the next year. I'm just taking my time. 
But this gives me opportunity. One, I love your intentionality. The six states that I'm licensed in, I was very intentional about why I want to be licensed in those states. So having intentionality, not just doing it just because. But then um, when you said, I don't know what that will look like or how, I want to encourage people who are interested in being licensed in multiple states. The ASWB uh, Social Work Registry is a great resource because you pay, I think it's $60, $65 the first year. And then the next year you pay $30, $35. But they hold your transcript, your licensing scores, your supervision hours, and they'll send all of those things to the state that you want to be licensed in. They only do one state a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. They only do one state a year. But um, so if you want to do additional states like I do, you have the, you have to pay the cost for that. But to have the ASWB Social Work Registry hold all of your things for you. And when you're ready to be licensed in the next state, obviously you got to still pay that state board's licensing fee and whatever else costs they have. But they have all of your things and then they send it to the state for you. And it just makes it so much easier. So just shouting out the ASWB Social Work Registry. Okay. Um, it's I'm been a great, uh, yeah, it's been a great tool to have uh trying to get licensed in multiple states and you got me all excited about getting licensed in yeah. Washington I hadn't thought about it but oh yeah now I'm like oh they have some really great benefits so mm-hmm. Jamie what is something you would leave behind in social work I think that the system is not perfect and I can't save the world um <laughs> you know that that small town sheltered girl, you know, I had no idea what was out there in the world. And in my social work journey, really seeing the imperfections and how the system, you know, can let people down and accepting that. Um, but also, you know, do, you know, you have to do the best that you can do within the system's in which we operate so letting go of it's perfect everybody's accounted for and taken care of unfortunately that's not the case we've been asking this question um or been thinking a lot about it since one of one of the people i interviewed last year um, mentioned it she says social work changed her values her own personal value becoming a social worker changed her own personal values do you feel like becoming a social worker has changed your personal values in any way absolutely I mean just thinking about you know humanity and human rights and you know everybody should have a roof over their head and food in their bellies and that's just been really hard to see people not having that. Um, but they're knowing there are systems, there are programs that that are doing their best um, to try to remedy that. But really, you know, understanding somebody, they they all have a story. You know, people want to judge. You know, the guy on the corner with with the cardboard sign well i'm sure he has they you know whoever they are have quite 
a lot to say about why they're at, where they're at, you know, why, how they got there. And nobody wants to be there. And just kind of having that understanding and compassion that not everybody has the privilege to be born with parents that have their heads on straight and that are loving and caring and that there's so many out there that are not so fortunate and that there's, you know, reasons behind, you know, why they are on the street. Um, yeah, just very eye-opening to that and just developing so much more compassion and, you know, as being naturally empathetic too, you know, finding that strength, you know, putting a label on it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an empath, you know, that's only natural too. And it just all kind of came together. And, um, and I think I, I mentioned to you, I, I did take a year off of social work, but I was still a social worker. Folks in the office were still coming to me, you know, to vent, um, doing the thing. And so, um, it's just in me. I, that's what my strengths are. And, I'm going to continue on. You're going to lean into it. You're mm-hmm. going to lean into it. I love it. Yeah. Even when we try to take our social work hat off, our heart is still there. And people yeah. in the office, whether we call ourselves social worker in the grocery store or at the gas station, yeah. they know they find yeah. us. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they find us. It's like a oh, magnet or something. I love it. But that's such a beautiful answer. Jane, this has been so good. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. And I just have one last question. Um, and I love that you are in private practice. I'm so excited for you. I'm cheering you on. You, If you want to, I would love to be able to put your LinkedIn information in the bottom of your description. So folks in Washington and wherever else you decide to get licensed can find you and find your practice. Um, because I, I think that you are an amazing therapist and your folks are really, really lucky to have you. Um, but you are in private practice, and I know that you, you know, are working from home. And you, t- you kind of alluded to this early on with being an entrepreneur and being the type of mother your mother was to you. And you know, shout out, shout out to her. And I, I love that I've gotten to meet her and spend time with her as well. Um, but how do you find balance, or how do you maintain balance? of both your work life and your personal life, working and living in the same place. And can you give advice to those who are doing that now and are planning to do that in the future? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's given, just naturally it's given me the work-life balance. Um, I feel more balanced. I'm a homebody. So it it works for me. Um my old supervisor at the nonprofit I was at, she asked me that same question. Like, how do you transition? Because we talked about the transition, taking the work, but what do you do? You know, and when I'm in the office, it was taking my badge off. I'm taking my badge off right when I get in my car. I've, I've got to put it away. And she asked, well, what do you do? Oh, and I also, when I was at the office, I changed my outfit. You know, there's that. But at home, I don't know. There's something different about being in my home that is safe and secure. And thankfully I I have space. I have office space and creating that, you know, sanctuary that is for work. 
and making sure I get up and, and I go or go outside and get some fresh air, um, making phone calls, touching base with my people, um, making sure I make time for that. And I'm not just all work, but I think just naturally who I am as a homebody, it, it works for me and I, I thrive in it. And I, you know, it's, it's good for me that I can, you know, go do a load of laundry or the dishes. And, and like that makes me feel more balanced. Whereas when I'm stuck in an office somewhere and then I have to wait till five o'clock to walk out that door, then I got to come home to the dishes, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's easier. I feel like for me in private practice um, to be at home. Um, but definitely, yeah, stepping away often. <laughs> I love it. I heard what I heard you say is your balance is not, you know, eight to five and then five to 10, but it is all you've created it all throughout your day mm -hmm. is, you know, the stepping away, going outside and get the fresh air, doing the laundry, playing with your son, playing with your fur babies. Yeah. Uh, you, you put those, balance points all throughout your day. But I also heard you say when work is done, work is done and you leave it there. Yeah. I think whether you're working in the office space and or at home, we got to make sure we leave work at work still. Right. Yeah. Huge. It's so mm -hmm. important. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's for me, it, it took years to learn that skill. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not, but it's needed. <laughs> yeah, it's necessary. It's required. <laughs> yeah. Jamie, this was so beautiful. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and with the Goddesses of Social Work. We're so glad you came on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work Podcast.